Um, this morning we're going to continue um, as a, a follow-up message from last week. I shared a message about living in the light of God's goodness. And that particular message from James 1 was very life-giving to me, and I hope it was for some others. Uh, it was for Father's Day, um, and we focused in on James 1:17 through or 16 through 21, where we talked about uh, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, from whom there's no variation or shadow of turning from, and from His will He brought us forth as a kind of first fruits of His creation. And then it says, "Know this, my beloved brothers: be ever, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry." For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then it says, therefore, let us, uh, let us get rid of all moral filth and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. And so we talked about last week living in the light of God's goodness. We talked about specifically being a person who's slow to anger in light of what God has done and who God is. Namely, he is a good father who gives Good gifts, he lavishes good gifts on his children. And verse 18 tells us he brought us forth as a kind of first fruits. Theologians highlight that that is referring to the new birth, regeneration, being born again, and God bringing us into his family. And so in, in the book of James, that has so many exhortations to be uh, doers of the word, to live our faith. James has these two verses that highlight this is what God, who God is and what God has done. He's given good gifts, namely the good gift of salvation and the new birth. And so in light of that goodness that God has displayed towards us, not only in lavishing daily blessings of provision and goodness that we get to experience like food and family and sunrises and sunsets and all the goodness we see in creation, we have goodness experienced ultimately in the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And we are as Christians to live in the light of that. We are to live out that. We are to respond to who God is and what God has done for us. And I, and I mentioned last week, when we don't realize that and we just go straight into the doing, we get in the doo-doo. Right? Legalism. When we don't first as Christians know what God has done for us and don't recognize and understand and embrace and receive what God has done for us. For us, we fall into this terrible, dangerous trap of trying to earn God's love, of trying to earn forgiveness, of trying to earn position, acceptance. That only comes by grace. It only comes through the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on our behalf, not according to our works. And so we're going to continue that theme this week, namely gospel living is the title of this message. And we're going to look at Titus Chapter 3, and in the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul is writing one of his spiritual sons, Titus, and he has a theme in this book. One, he, he tells Titus that elders need to be appointed in Crete, okay? Uh, there needs to be some leaders, there needs to be order within the church, and he describes what that looks like, what it looks like for Christians to live out the gospel, right? And, 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 and he specifically puts an emphasis on Good works. 
Okay? In the book of Titus, one of the themes of the book of Titus is good works, that Christians are to be eager to do good works, devoted to do good works, zealous for good works. Titus 2 tells us that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem his own special people. You are special along with all the rest of God's people, right? In Christ Jesus. He's redeemed his own special people, zealous for good works. Right? And so here's, here's one of the problems, though. Many folks tend to bypass what God has done in Christ on the cross, and, and, and they go straight to the good works. And this is what, what most religions do. They focus in on your works, the works of man. Many people think that they're good enough to get to heaven by their own good works. Many people think that they can just do enough good to outweigh all the bad that they've done. But the truth is, we can't. The truth is we need a Savior. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And God has provided that for us. And once we receive the Savior, receive His salvation, we receive what He's done for us, we are empowered to do the good works that He has called us to live out by His grace and by the power of His Spirit. And so we're going to look at Titus chapter 3 and and look at what it looks like for you and I to live out the gospel, to live in the light of God's goodness. What does gospel living look like? What does it look like to live a life that has conduct that is consistent with the gospel message, conduct that is worthy of the gospel that Jesus gave himself for us to live out and live in? Amen? Amen. So turn to me to turn with me to Titus chapter three. Sorry, I'm coming out a little strong now, come on, this come morning. On, come on now. <clears throat> this is the gospel is good news to be heralded. Amen. And one of the things that we you're gonna hear over and over here at City Church is you're gonna hear an emphasis on the gospel. We're gonna major on that. We are committed to being gospel-centered in our teaching, gospel-centered in our living, and we're, we're going to point each other to the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel to ourselves. We're going to look for the gospel in every page of Scripture that we can see it. We want to see Jesus Amen. revealed throughout the Scripture. Amen? Amen? Titus chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. He says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy. Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of our works done by us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here's where we're going. Here's our big idea this morning from the text. Christians are to display the beauty of the gospel by devoting themselves to good works that affirm the good news that they proclaim. Christians are to display the beauty of the gospel by devoting themselves to good works that affirm the good news that they proclaim. You see, when we walk in godliness and we, we practice doing good works that God's called us to do, we, ad, ad, quote, adorn the gospel. Okay, We help others see the beauty that is there because of the transformation that is displayed in our lives. Those of us who have believed it and received the benefits of grace. And Paul gives us some practical ways to do that in chapter 3. And actually, before we uh, look at verse Verse 1 there, go back to chapter 2 and look at what Paul said. Look at what these instructions are sandwiched between, where Paul gives four practical ways that we can uh, live, uh, practice gospel living, gospel conduct. Before that, back in chapter 2, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless and uh, from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke, with all authority, let no one disregard you. And then he goes in uh, in verse 1 and 2, and he explains what gospel living looks like. What the conduct of the gospel is. What's, what's, what's conduct and, and, and uh, what is living a, a lifestyle that adorns the gospel, that puts the spotlight on the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a couple things here. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And I appreciate where Paul and Peter and John uh, throw in this, uh, this little word here. Remind them. Okay? That, that implies they've already heard this. They already know this. But they need to be reminded of this. Because we all struggle with something called gospel amnesia or spiritual amnesia. Like the Israelites who forgot they, he, they forgot the great things that God had done for them, how God delivered them out of Egypt, right? And when we tend to forget the goodness of God in our lives, we were, our hearts are prone to wander into sin. And so we need to be reminded 
reminded of what God has done and reminded how we're to live in light of the gospel, in light of God's goodness displayed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one of those ways is to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now I know this is a hot topic right now. This is, this, is, this is one that many people wish was not in the Bible right now. This is not a popular thing to say, and I could get in trouble by preaching on this right now. This seems like a really bad time to talk about this, but we need to talk about it. Because the Bible doesn't just talk about it here. And Paul just has one little, uh, one little verse here. He says, simply remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Right? Just that one little verse there. But you go to Romans 13 and Paul unpacks it a little bit more. He unpacks what it looks like for a Christian to live a conduct that's consistent with the gospel. What it looks like to respond to the mercy and the grace of the gospel by living in, in a posture of submission to civil authorities. Now let me remind you of the kind of leadership that the first century Christians were living under. They were living under the emperor. They were living under the authority of Rome. The Roman Empire. Okay? And, and that was a wicked... There, there was a lot of corruption and wickedness within the Roman Empire. And this seems so radical that Paul or Peter also says... He says the same thing. Uh, 1 Peter, I believe, chapter 2, he says, Be subject to the rulers, the governing authorities. Right? Uh, Paul says this. Uh, Jesus even taught this, of course, because that's where the apostles get this teaching from. He said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Jesus stood before Pilate and he told him, you, you, when Pilate said, don't you know I have authority to, to take your life? I have authority over you. Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Right. And so Jesus realized that behind those earthly rulers and authorities, God the Father is sovereign over all. The Apostle Paul recognized that. He realized that. And he calls us to submit knowing that ultimately God is in charge. And God will remove and, and punish those rulers who do evil if they persist in that ungodliness. You read the book of Daniel and you see that. And so for Christians, our posture towards Leadership towards governing authorities in the land is to be one of submission and one of honor. Now, it's not unconditional submission and obedience to those civil authorities, right? Because we see examples in scriptures where authorities tell Christians to do something that God has explicitly said. Go preach the gospel. And so in Acts 4 and Acts, Acts chapter 5, when the authorities say, you guys can't talk about Jesus anymore. It was appropriate for the apostles to respond, you judge whether it's right for us to obey God or to obey man. Right? And so there is a time for civil disobedience when, when our governing authorities within our land command us to do something that goes clearly against Scripture. Okay? But the general characteristic of Christians should not be one of rebellion. It should be one of, of honor and one of submission. Right? And so that should be the posture. That is, that is how Jesus lived his life. Humbly before the Father. He humbled himself and he took on this mindset of a servant. And so 
We are to honor authority. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells us to pray for those who are in authority. To pray for your governing leaders. Why? So that you may live a, a, a peaceful life. So that things may go well with you. Right? And so, so we're to be submissive to authorities. I'm not going to spend too much more time on that lest I get in trouble. Actually, this deserves a sermon on, it, uh, on its own. Right? And I hope to, in the near future, preach on Romans chapter 13. And for us to look at what it looks like for us to embrace the biblical perspective concerning governing authorities. Yet, yet our highest allegiance is to the King of Kings and to the Kingdom of God, not to our, our nation. Our highest allegiance is to be to God as Christians. We are citizens of heaven first. And then we are citizens of the United States of America. Amen? But but Paul was concerned about the, the name of Jesus and the, the, the message of the gospel. He was concerned about it getting a bad reputation by the way that Christians lived. And so Paul didn't want Christians to, to shed bad light on the gospel or the name of Jesus because of, of bad conduct. He wanted their lives to, to be one that reflected the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. The next thing is to, number two, is to be ready for every good work. Have a posture that you are ready to do good to all. That should be our aim as Christians. Jesus lived his life like this. He went about doing good. He lived the ultimate life of, of good works. And, and praise God that, that our salvation is based on His performance and His obedience, not ours. Because all of ours is falls short. And all of ours can't measure up to make us righteous or to earn acceptance or salvation for us. We're also to be respectful and peaceful. L- listen to this verse, verse 1, um, the second part. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. Okay? Speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. Now, where do we see this mostly happening right now? What's that? Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. We see this happening everywhere. But we, we, we see this happening, I, I, let me submit to you that I think we see this happening more at pe- people's fingertips right now. Being t- Words being typed up on social media Slander, speaking evil of people who have been made in the image of God. In James chapter 3, says it, in James, James says, it shouldn't be like this. Your tongue should not be blessing God in one moment and then cursing people who have been made in the image of God. James chapter 3, I believe that's verse 9, right? It's, it's inconsistent with the gospel. It's inconsistent with the Christian faith. For us to be those who slander, to attack with our words, to verbally assault people is sinful. Jesus told, told in Matthew chapter 5, he told his followers, if you call somebody an idiot, a fool, you're, you're in danger. Watch out. If you're angry with your brother, you're in danger. Because God sees murder at the heart level before you actually, before one actually pulls the trigger or, 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 or assaults somebody, God sees murder 
in the heart. Okay? And so we're to speak evil of no one. In contrast, we are to be people who, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but, but only speak what's necessary that it may impart edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let your words be, uh, let your tongue be a conduit of the grace of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth, and this doesn't mean that we don't call out sin and call people to repentance prophetically. Or evangelistically, we need to call out sin. But it's possible for us to prophetically confront sin in our day, in relationships, and even confront sin in the, on the bigger level. Where it's possible for us to do that without speaking evil of people and verbally assaulting them and attacking their character. Amen. So if you're doing that, Amen. stop it. Amen. If you're doing that online, stop Slandering. Stop assaulting people with your words. If you don't agree with them, and whether it's uh, whatever the hot topic is that you don't agree with somebody on, don't assault somebody with your words and assassin their character because you disagree with them. There is a civil, godly way for us to engage with somebody that we have a different perspective with and engage and have a, a conversation Without being argumentative, we're to avoid quarreling. Okay, we can we can disagree with someone and have a healthy dialogue and even debate without being argumentative. All right, this is gospel conduct. This is gospel living. Second Timothy chapter two, Paul said to Timothy, his other spiritual son, he said, "A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but he must be gentle to all, able to teach, correcting those who are in opposition." If perhaps God may grant them repentance, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so we're to avoid quarreling, speak evil of no one, speak life. Let your tongue be a conduit of the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> not slander, not evil. Um, and then next, be gentle and courteous towards all people. Be gentle and courteous towards all people. These go together. Here at City Church, we aim to cultivate a culture of honor here, where we honor one another. We have different giftings, different backgrounds, and we embrace and love diversity here. Okay? But when we have diversity, when, we, when you have different giftings and different backgrounds, uh, different ages and different styles, different preferences, it sets us up for some conflict. Right? There's going to be conflict when there's differences. And human nature tends to gravitate towards sameness. Okay? We tend to gravitate towards sameness. And that's one of the problems with racism. That's one of the issues with racism. We gravitate towards sameness. And we, we, we oftentimes look down upon people who are different than us. And we think we're better than them. And that's sinfulness. That's our sinful nature that leads us to do that. We are to be a people... As Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12, we're to outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. If you're going to be competitive in anything, be competitive in trying to outdo and showing honor to other people. To showing respect to others, especially within 
the body of Christ. Let us be a people who are courteous to all. Okay, Paul is describing here how Christians are to relate in society. Listen to this quote here. It says, No condition or no period of life is to remain unaffected by the sanctifying influence of the gospel. The gospel should lead us to live this way. To be people who have a posture of submission towards governing authorities. To be a people who are courteous to all. To be a people who don't speak evil of others. To be a people who are ready for every good work. Who are respectful. Okay. Now notice what Paul does in verse 2. Or verse 3 here. He goes back to what we used to be. Now this, this should humble all of us. If you've been a Christian for a while. And you've... And you've, you've You've wandered into a self-righteousness because you've been good for a really long time and you've been doing good. You haven't done those things that you used to do for a really long time. Let this be a humbling reminder for you and I here. Verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish. Those people that you're tempted to speak evil of and slander with your mouth because of the, the foolish things that they do, because they're blinded, Right? Remember, we were once foolish. We were once disobedient. We were once led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated, hated by others, and hating one another. Doesn't that describe much of what we're seeing right now within our nation being highlighted? Just hatred, being hated, and hating one another. And so we see this list here of this is what we used to be like. Before Christ. This is the, the, the conduct of the lost. We have a contrast of, of the conduct of the gospel that's consistent with the gospel, and we have uh, conduct of the lost. Foolishness, disobedience, being led astray, slaves to passions and pleasures, marked by malice. That, that's ill will towards somebody. You want ill will, you want things to go bad for them. If you get happy, when something bad happens to somebody else, even your enemies, even if it's your enemy, that's wrong, that's malice, that's ill will. The way of Jesus, Jesus said we are to love our enemies. Yes. Yes. Now this is easier said than done. This takes a supernatural work in our hearts for us to love those who are enemies, those who want to harm us. We're not to be overcome by evil. We're to overcome evil with good. And so those who don't know the Lord, they're, they're characterized by malice, envy, foolishness, disobedience, hatred. The overarching mark of the child of God is love. The overarching mark of the child of God is is love. If there's one characteristic that people see in your life, let it be love. Okay? We were once hated. We once lived within hatred. And, and this was me. This describes my old life. 21, 22, 23 years ago. I can think back. And this is what I was walking in. Walking around, mad dogging people, looking mean and tough. Like, you want to mess with me? You want a piece of me? Because I had anger. And I had hatred in my heart. In my heart, I was a murderer before God. But when I met Jesus, December 12, 1998, and I got born again, I experienced 
the, the outpouring of God's mercy and His loving kindness and His goodness towards me, and I was softened and brought to this place of surrender. I was dead and made alive. My eyes, I was blind, and now I see. God changed my wicked heart. And now I have a disposition to loving people. To, to moving towards people in grace and love out of care and concern for them. I used to be a liar. I used to be a deceiver. And, and once I became a Christian, I, I, I developed a passion for the truth. Where I'm willing to, to take a hit for the truth. I'm willing to get in trouble for the truth. To speak what's right. To stand for what's true and what's right. I used to be a thief. But when I became a Christian, I became a giver. Instead of a taker, a giver. Because God changed my heart. And this is what salvation looks like. This is the effects of the gospel on a human life. God changes a murderer to a loving person, a, a, a liar to a preacher of truth, a thief to a giver, a sexually moral young man into a young man walking in purity and righteousness Amen. for his namesake, by his grace. This is the work of salvation, the effects of the gospel in somebody's life. And for me, it was like, you know, any of y'all wear glasses or contacts? And do you remember when you, when you first realized you needed them? Because you couldn't see stuff other people could see. For me, I was playing baseball. And I wasn't hitting the baseball like I should be. The baseball was probably hitting me a little too much. I was playing Little League Baseball. I realized I needed contact. I needed glasses. And when, when, we got, when you get glasses or you get contacts, you're able to see things. You're able to see um, specifics, details, colors that you couldn't see before. And when we come to Christ... Our eyes are open to see the beauty of God's goodness and for us to live in the light of God's goodness and His grace. And it's amazing grace and we should be amazed by it. And if you're not, think back to what you were before you came to know Jesus. Think back to the hopelessness and despair and the struggle and, and, and just the futility of life that you used to live in. The anger and the hatred. The joylessness, the fear that you were captive by before you came to know Jesus. Okay? And, and look at, I love this, verse 4. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. I love the big butts in the Bible like this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Can you say that this morning? He saved me. Yes. I used to be like that, but He saved me. And I know I'm saved by Jesus. Because His goodness and His kindness appeared not only 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked this earth full of grace and truth and died on the cross to display His love for me and you. And He went to the grave and was raised up on the third day. His goodness and, and loving kindness not only appeared then, but there was a point of history in my life when my life intersected and the history of my life intersected with the loving kindness and the goodness of God. And He changed me. Amen. And He saved me. He forgave me. Yeah. He justified me by His grace. And, and notice this, verse 5. Not because of works done in righteousness. I think it's really important that Paul highlights this. 
Because the theme in Titus is, is to these Cretans, these Cretan Christians, they had, Crete, the Cretans had a reputation for being lazy, gluttons, and, and evil. That was, that was the culture. That's what the reputation was. And so Paul was like, you Christians don't live like your culture lives. Don't, don't, don't let that be true of you. Be those who give yourselves to good works. Works and conduct that are consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Don't mix up your good works with the good work that was done for you on the cross that is finished. And you can't add anything to it. Christ has earned for you what you couldn't earn for yourself. And so it's important for every person to come to the, that point in their life that they realize that, that verse 5 is true. And they realize that that is true about them. That they have been saved by Jesus. That he saved us. And that he saved us not because of our uh, works done in righteousness. Not because of what you've done. Okay? Now, it's very clear God calls us to good works. He doesn't save us by our good works, but he saves us for good works. The good works that we do after we become Christians affirm that we have truly believed the gospel. That we have been changed by the gospel. And it displays the beauty and the goodness of the gospel through our lives. So it's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy. He's drawn us in his mercy. He's, he showed us goodness and loving kindness when we didn't deserve it. When we weren't seeking him, he sought us. When we were helpless, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We've experienced what theologians call, uh, or what Paul calls regeneration, or the new birth. Jesus had a conversation with a religious guy in his day, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a good man, quote, and according to all the standards of his day, high respected religious man of his day. But you know what? He was missing something. His goodness didn't seem to measure up to what he needed. His goodness didn't measure up to the righteousness that Jesus Christ provides as a free gift for those who put their faith in him and trust in him. And so Jesus told Nicodemus, this, quote, good man, in the eyes of many, right? He said, you must be born again. And it perplexed him. He's like, what do I do? How do I, how do I do that? How does anybody cause themselves to be born? We can't. We're powerless. And that's exactly the point of the metaphor. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we get to experience the new birth. First right. Peter 1 3. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he, Jesus said, You must be born again, Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and you must and to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, by saying that, he pointed. Nicodemus, to the amazing grace that he needed for salvation. 
Jesus goes on, just verses later, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, he told Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So Nicodemus, or anybody watching right now, if you're like a Nicodemus, you're a quote good guy, or you think you're a good guy or good girl, you have to be born again. That's right see it enter the kingdom of heaven. And you have to believe in Jesus. You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone if you're going to have eternal life. It's a free gift of grace. Verse 6, he, he poured out, He's not only given us His Son, but He's given us His Spirit that He's lavished, He's poured out on us. At Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit on His people. And when you and I have became a Christian, we receive the Spirit of God and we're commanded in Scripture to be filled, to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. To walk in communion and live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who empowers gospel living. Verse 7, So being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. Amen? Amen? Justified by His grace. Justified by His grace. Grace is unearned favor and blessing. Okay? It's unearned favor and blessing. We can't earn it. And it humbles us. How many of y'all struggle to receive a good gift from somebody? They want to bless you with a good gift. They want to they want to lavish you with something you, you don't feel like you deserve. Okay? How many of y'all struggle with that? Some, some of you kids are like, I don't struggle with that at all. Come on, bring it! Right? But those of us who are older and adults and we, we know how to work and we're responsible, like, hey, you know, I can work for that. You know, we struggle, we struggle with this idea of grace that, because it's humbling. Okay? And we have to humble ourselves to experience it, to receive it. And God says He gives grace. To the humble. Jesus says that if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be humble like a little child. That is a characteristic of Christians who are living out the gospel is this humility. But we're justified freely by His grace. And I tell you, this has been one of the most refreshing truths in the Bible for me. Refreshing because when I fail and I fail big, I'm reminded that I am who I am because of the grace of God. And I'm leaning on His grace to keep me, to sustain me, to pardon me, to empower me. And and then when I'm doing good, and good works are flowing, and I feel like I'm an awesome Christian, I need to be reminded that I am who I am by the grace of God. And not get self-righteous about any fruit that comes forth from my life because it's God working in me to will and to do his good pleasure. It's, it's through my relationship abiding in Him that, that fruit comes forth from your life, from my life. Verse 8 says, this, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want to insist on these things. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Be careful to devote yourselves to good works. This is important. Don't, 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 don't hear it wrong. Good works are important. We're, we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, 
lest any man should boast, right? For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're saved by grace, not by our good works. We're justified by grace. It's God's goodness and his loving kindness and his mercy that's entered into our lives and has, has brought about salvation in Jesus Christ, not our good works. But the good works are the domino effect. The good works are the gospel effect on our lives. Okay? Um, for, for those who struggle with grace, I was um, receiving grace, I'm reminded of a, um, a story of a 16-year-old girl who just started driving and she had a 12-year-old passenger with her and she backed into a pole. This is a tragic story. Backed into a pole. The pole fell down on the car and um, uh, hit the 12-year-old girl and she became brain dead and I think she ended up dying. And the parents of that, she knew the parents, the 16-year-old knew the parents she, she said she wanted to pay them back by babysitting, doing dishes, cleaning the house. Whatever I can do, I just, I just, I'll pay you back. I'll. And the chaplain of this hospital that was talking to her explained to her that she can't pay back the parents for the loss of their daughter. By, by all the dishes or all the cleaning of the house or all the babysitting and all the good intentions and eventually the, the, the parents graciously forgave this girl and and she got free of trying to pay them back and experience grace at some point and you and I need to come to that point in our life in our relationship with Jesus Christ you see it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross that led him to die the death that he died that he didn't deserve to die. And he took your place in my place. And we must receive his grace. <clears throat> and the effects of receiving his grace and knowing his grace is good works. So I want to talk briefly about what's the nature of the nature and motivation of good works. Good works done by Christians are actions that honor God and help people. They exalt God and edify others. They glorify God and bring good to humanity. They show God's goodness and they serve the community. Good works are the deeds done with motivation. Or good works are deeds done with motivation. The motivation to bring glory to God, not self, and do good to people. Good works are motivated by love for God and people. Um, this is taken from Easton's Bible Dictionary on uh, just defining what good works are. What is a good work? If we're to be people who devote ourselves to good works, we need to know what that looks like. Because not everything that seems good to us is a good work. There's a lot of good things we could be doing that aren't necessarily good works. Works are good only when they spring from the principle of love to God. The moral character of an act is determined by the moral principle that prompts it. Faith and love in the heart are the essential elements of all true obedience. Hence, good works only spring from a believing heart can only be wrought by one reconciled to God. Good works have the glory of God as their object. They have the revealed will of God as their 
their only rule. Good works are an expression of gratitude in the believer's heart. They are fruits of the Spirit. Thus, they spring from grace, which they illustrate and strengthen in the heart. Good works are the most are the most sincere believers. Uh, I'm sorry. Good works of the most sincere believers are all imperfect. Hear that. Good works of the most sincere believers are all imperfect, yet, like their persons, they are accepted through the mediation of Jesus Christ, and so are rewarded. They have no merit intrinsically, but are rewarded wholly of grace. That's a mouthful. I can send that to you if you want, or you can look it up at the Easton's Bible Dictionary. And so if we're going to be people who do good works and devote ourselves for good works and are zealous for good works like Jesus died for us to be, then we need to know what those are because there's many people who take the good out of their works by doing it to be seen by others. The Pharisees did their pious deeds, the religious deeds of praying, fasting, and giving so others can see how spiritual they are. Look at me, I pray a lot. Look at me, I give a lot. I'm a generous person. Look at me, I'm a faster. I've missed a lot of meals because I seek God. And you got your reward. If that's, if that's what your motivation is, if you want people to see how awesome you are, then you, you've taken the good out of the work. And it just works. Dead works. But don't please God. And don't honor God. And so good works that honor God are motivated by love for God and love for people. They aim to bring glory to God and good to people. They aim to honor God and help people. They aim to exalt God and edify people. Good works. Let us be a people who devote ourselves to good works so that we can display the beauty of the gospel in our community, all those around who look upon us, may they never look upon us and see self-righteousness and pride and us trying to be so awesome in and of ourselves. I, I, you know, it's freeing for me to know that my life doesn't, my good works don't save people. Jesus saves people. The gospel of Jesus Christ saves people. It's Jesus' good work. He's the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, I may be able to follow his example and live sacrificially like him and, and reach out and let him work through me. But ultimately, it's the life of Jesus that saves people. That's why in doing our good works, we need to preach good news. We need to herald the good news because that's how people will be saved by hearing and believing the gospel, the good news. And, and what, a powerful, what a powerful witness the church would be if we had good, if we were rich in good works, zealous for good works, and we were heralders of the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel. If those two were married together and we were walking in those, we would be effective, powerful witnesses. And one of the problems is, is that many within the church either tend to go towards the heralding side and lack the good work side, or they're just, we're good works people. We're going to do service projects and just serve people. And the life of Jesus embodied both of those. 
He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And he went about proclaiming good news for all to hear. So let me land the plane. I'm over time um, for application here. First thing is make sure that you understand and believe and embrace the gospel of grace. Make sure you understand and believe the gospel and embrace the gospel of grace. Because if you don't, and you try to give yourself to good works, and you don't understand the good work that's been done for you, you're going to get you're going to get under the weight of a heavy yoke that you were never meant to bear. A yoke that's not easy and a burden that's not light. A legalistic yoke of trying to please God in your own strength. Okay? And so make sure you understand the gospel of grace. You believe it. You embrace it. And that your good works flow from a response to what God has done for you. Because that's the pattern in the Bible. That's, that's what Paul does in Titus here. He calls the people of God to live a life of good works, but he gives them gospel basis, a basis for it, a grounding for it, a motivation for it. That's what, he, that's what the New Testament writers do over and over and over again. And then identify the good works that God has called you to, to walk in. God has specific good works for you to walk in, saints. There are people to reach, people to serve. And there are creative ways that you can serve them and honor them and bless them with the gifts and the talents and the resources, the proximity that you have around you. And so identify what those good works are. God has uh, predetermined, or he's for, for uh, let's see, he, let's see, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has called us to, to walk in beforehand. There are works that he's beforehand, before, way before time God has decided there are works that Anna is, is going to walk in, that Ellie is going to walk in, that Chad is going to walk in. And so identify what those are and give yourself to them. And then consider ways you can stir other Christians to good works. Hebrews 10. Consider one another how to stir one another toward love and good works. And so I asked my wife to come up with a list of some good works to help me out with the sermon prep. Because uh, I needed some help. And so she helped me do that. Uh, and so here's a list of some things. Give, your, give, give to those who are in need. The needy around you. Just simply share your resources with others. Okay? Serve your family. Uh, those in your workplace. Friends, cheerfully. Uh, I love it here. You know, one of the things we do here within our culture is we make meals for one another. When there's a baby or when there's a, you know, some kind of big event, you know, folks bringing meals over. Hey, let me send a meal over to you, right? Uh, that, that's a way to express love and value. Um, share the gospel. Share the good news with people. Take the time. Put, make, take the risk of being rejected so that you can have a conversation with someone about the gospel. Fostering and adoption. Okay, I love, I love this. So I love that Kevin and Lori have just stepped into this. They've wanted to do this for a while. So we have a family amongst us. We have another one amongst us here who have done that as well. Um, fostering and adopting children is a beautiful good word. And, and throughout history, Christians have cared a lot about this. Because Christians value life, human lives. And adoption is a gospel thing. Okay? 
We've been adopted into the family of God. Okay? We've been born again, but we've also been adopted. Those are both terms that are used regarding our salvation and our place in the family of God that describe the grace that we've experienced. But caring for another life, taking in another little baby to raise them and commit to doing them good is a way that we display the good works that God's called us to walk in. Um, another thing, by the way, that's not on here is hospitality. Inviting people into your home. Sharing your space with people. To come on in and enjoy food and fellowship. And mess the place up. Because we're going to enjoy the fellowship with one another, right? Uh, work, uh, working towards racial reconciliation is a good work. Okay, that's something we want to... We want to be about in this season as there is division and turmoil around racism. And uh, we want to be those because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are uh, reconcilers. Um, speaking words of encouragement. Taking the time to speak words of encouragement. Sharing what you have with others. Using the gifts that God's given you to serve others. You have a spiritual gift. A way that God's uniquely created you and designed you to build up the body of Christ. And Help others. And then lastly, doing do your job as unto the Lord, cheerfully, humbly, with integrity. Do your, your occupation work as unto the Lord, cheerfully, humbly, with integrity. You have lots of opportunity on your in your job, in your occupation, to do quote good works uh, that that put the spotlight on Jesus. Amen. And so let me close in prayer. That we would be a people who do this very thing. Father, would you captivate us with the beauty of the gospel? And would you move us on to living a life that is rich in good works? Would you give us vision? Help us to see what specifically you've called us to walk in, ways that we can engage our neighbors. Right now, ways that we can engage uh, surrounding neighbors uh, in this community right here. And may we give ourselves to doing what you've called us to do. And may we never mix that up with your grace and what you've done for us at the cross. May we respond to that amazing grace displayed in the gospel by being zealous and passionate and, and steadfast and movable, abounding in your work that you've called us to, knowing that our labor is not in vain in you. Free us up. Where we're not free to serve, free us up. Help us to remove those hindrances, to see and identify what those hindrances are that keep us from being uh, others-oriented that keep us from being gospel-centered in our thinking and our living. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you. May He lift up the light of His countenance upon you. And may He give you His peace.